When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, economist Morgan Reynolds, the founder of NoMoreGames.net, reports on the state of liberty. In Arkansas here, I participated to restore term limits on our state legislators. This volunteer group went out, got 125,000 signatures to put it on the ballot. And we know it's gonna pass at least two to one, okay? Because we've been this way before. Now, what what does the State Chamber of Commerce do? They're gonna, they've got a movement to stop this from getting on the ballot, okay? That tells you all you need to know. This podcast is supported by The Horrible Movie Podcast. It's a weekly show hosted by Jack Altermat. Jack invites a guest who brings a horrible theater-released movie to dissect. Jack and his guests take you through the highs and lows of the movie and what makes it horrible. New movies, older movies, cult classics, or box office busts. No movie is spared or safe from The Horrible Movie Podcast. It's a fun show with clean language, and it's available through Spreaker.com, Apple Podcasts, StudioDNA.media, and every Everywhere you get your podcasts. Remember, just because it's from Hollywood doesn't mean it isn't horrible. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Monday. Well, it's Labor Day, so I'm slacking off a little. That's why this episode is dropped a little later in the day than usual. We are packing up and heading back to Canada one week from today. And I have to say in all honesty, I am gonna hate having to leave here. But we have a a life waiting for us back in Old Thornhill, an incredibly busy life with the boys and tennis lessons and hockey and piano lessons and Greek school and everything else. And to top it all off, the boys miss their pet bunny. And of course they miss their friends. But I must say this place in Verga, just outside of Kalamata, is starting to feel like home. I'm gonna miss taking my morning coffee on the front terrace overlooking the bay, and I will miss my daily swim in the sea. I will miss the fresh figs and driving those narrow mountain roads with the hairpin turns, and I will miss the food. Well, actually, come to think of it, I get all the Greek food I want back home in Canada, so strike that. Anyway, I hope you had a great summer. I want to say hi to a couple of people who took the time to email me. Angelo writes, Hi Richard, my wife and I listen to your podcast all the way from Adelaide, Australia. I like to listen in bed, usually before sleep, but many cold mornings we'll listen to an episode before getting up. Love the show. Here's another from Victor. How are you doing, Richard? I listen on my tablet 
and sometimes on my phone, depending on what I'm doing. My phone is a Galaxy S7 Edge. And can I suggest you have more shows about the, gov about the government and the secrets that they're hiding from us? Thank you, your brother in Christ, Victor Dominguez. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Victor. And thank you all for writing in. Please email me at richardserrett one at gmail.com. richardserrett one at gmail.com and let me know where and how and why you listen to Conspiracy Unlimited. Now, my good friend Morgan Reynolds recently attended a conference sponsored by the Ron Paul Institute, and he's here to tell us all about it. Morgan is the founder of NoMoreGames.net, a fabulous alternative news and views website where he blogs frequently. He's also the former director of the Criminal Justice Center at the National Center for Policy Analysis, headquartered in Dallas, Texas. He served as chief economist for the United States Department of Labor, in 2001-2002 during George W. Bush's first term as president. Morgan Reynolds, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you, my friend? Hey, thank you, Richard. I am good and uh, pleased to be with you again. So tell me about uh, this Ron Paul Institute Media and War Conference that you attended. It was held on uh, August 18 and at the uh, Dulles Airport Marriott Hotel and I was nearby vacationing in uh, West Virginia so was pleased to make that uh, three hour approximate drive uh, east. And uh, it was very well run uh, on this Saturday. It was well attended. They were uh, very pleased to sell out. I would say the the room held uh, maybe as many as 300, but probably in a, closer to 250. We were all at the, these round tables we're all familiar with at seat eight, and I didn't do a, a, a count, but uh, it's, it's sold out every year. Um, it was kicked off by uh, Daniel McAdams, who I am familiar with because I've seen a number of these uh, Liberty reports that uh, – uh, Dan Adams, who is the executive director of the Ron Paul Institute, he organized it. He ran the show. It was very crisply run. The program ran from 9.30 in the morning till 3.30 in the afternoon. Very nice. Tight. Six hours. Uh, they got the speakers on and off. Now, one thing I uh, would criticize it for, but uh, that's, uh, you know, in the interest of efficiency, I suppose, but there were no questions allowed. Oh. <laughs> we, they, did, they didn't allow any Q&A, and uh, there was a, 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 man, a gentleman, a smart guy sitting on uh, my left at this uh, table, and uh, he, he mentioned 9-11 before I did, which is the... Uh, you know, the mother of uh, all of these U.S., uh, the, the rampage, uh, the military, the murderous rampage of the uh, U.S. government overseas. So that never came up except uh, a speaker would, uh, incidentally, maybe only a couple of them along the way, the terrorist attacks of 9-11, which we uh, we know is bunk. Um, most of us, many of us, I mean, probably a lot of your listeners. So that that was uh, disappointing, but otherwise, um, uh, let me point to uh, Daniel McAdams, uh, who is very uh, personable, I like him. Uh, he mentioned at the outset that the Ron Paul Institute is not dead, contrary to predictions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, this is an insight I didn't have. I, I actually acquired many insights. I was expecting to run into some of my econ buddies 
because uh, I've been at the uh, Mises Institute at least a half a dozen times over the years, and I uh, know, uh, of course, a good deal of people involved with the Lou Rockwell, um, the mini empire. But, <clears throat> no, I didn't know anybody there except, of course, Ron Paul and uh, Daniel McAdams. Uh, the uh, he pointed out that there was a need, they saw a need, Ron Paul and he saw a need for an anti-interventionist foreign policy institute, and he said, we are it. Right, this right. goes, you know, yeah, we're, we're both aware of the absurd dominance of neoconservative thinking, so-called thinking, the the whole empire hegemony and all the rest of this uh, murderous uh, these policies stem from that idea, and uh, the idea of the, Ron Paul, you know, he uh, he was very Catholic, lowercase C on this. Uh, we are, are going to embrace anybody on the policy who's anti-war on that policy, even though they might well differ uh, dramatically in some cases on, on other policy issues. Right. And now, Ron, Ron Paul, he must be nearly 80 now, I'm guessing. That's what I would guess, right. too. Yeah. So still you. very active. Uh, and, uh, of course, the former congressman from Texas served many terms and his son now, Senator, uh, the senior senator from Kentucky. Uh, junior. Who, junior. Oh, he's the junior senator. Which, My apologies. Mitch Connell, the uh, That's senator, right. That's right. is senior to him. That's right, correct. Yes. Uh, and has been, uh, although I would say for the most part a supporter of Donald Trump, he has also been a thorn in his side in, in, in on certain votes, uh, but he has sort of... Um, had the courage of his conviction, I suppose. However, back to Ron Paul. So mm -hmm. the, the title Media and War, uh, were they discussing the way the media uh, has been sort of co-opted by the, the, the neocons? Because you know one, one quick observation, and that is that the only time CNN, MSNBC, NBC gets behind Trump is when he lobs missiles at Syria. Yes. Uh, all of a very, sudden, all of a sudden, then he's presidential. Yes, uh, McAdams. Uh, to just stay with him for another minute, uh, mentioned that the media are uncritical on foreign policy, and to our advantage, uh, those of us in the anti-war camp, people are sick of it. That certainly, uh, there's a lot of sentiment in the heartland. Uh, maybe even, uh, you know, among uh, one out of three on the coast or 40 percent or some such uh, uh, who are sick of what's in it for me. More people should ask that question. <laughs> what's in it? What is it in it for if you're in Peoria in Arkansas? And, you know, Trump tapped into that, even though he's a, a loose cannon, he zigzag on policies. Uh, I, I buy into what he's doing on some and uh, pose him on others. Uh, and, and But foreign policy, here's a good point that Jeff Deist, he's a former Ron Paul staffer and now president of the Mises Institute, uh, the libertarian Austrian economics uh, think tank down there in Auburn, Alabama. Let me uh, just look at my notes. Uh, he says that the, the two big issues are war and the Fed. And what's convenient about that is 
that it shows, uh, he pointed out, uh, quote, democracy, unquote, is not working because there is very little appetite uh, in America for war. These overseas wars against smaller type countries that are viewed as, as military pushovers, but why are we still 17 years in Afghanistan, for example? So the idea of, the, uh, Ron Paul tapped into a very, um, in his last presidential run, uh, he, he really hammered on two things. One, get out of the Middle East, U.S., and secondly, end the Fed. So Dice uh, thought, hey, these are outreach issues that uh, people of various uh, political ideologies can get behind. And he ended by saying, liberty brings people together. This was at the luncheon panel. There were six former uh, Ron Paul staffers that, who were very bright and made a lot of uh, very good points. Uh, and uh, what... what uh of the the future of sort of the the liber, libertarian movement and, and Ron Paul was kind of the the standard bearer uh, although you know he ran on the Republican ticket it, I mean is there another Ron Paul on the horizon or is it Rand Paul mm. yeah that's a good question uh, of course I don't know and you don't know and nobody knows but you know Rand Paul when he ran for president uh, in, in the Trump field, there were, what, 17 at one point uh, serious candidates. And Rand Paul really, uh, uh, as I recall, he, I, I can't give you a specific example, but he tried to move toward the middle. He really uh, betrayed the um, uh, libertarian principles uh, to the extent that they're not disputed because uh, it's a, 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 like herding cats. But... Uh, really, he's he's recentered himself in a very good way. I'm very impressed with what he's been doing since uh, the miscues during the presidential primary run. So uh, he is a, certainly a big hope, but uh, you never know. Look at Obama, right? We could have somebody arise that uh, nobody's got on their radar right now. True, true. Did Ron Paul speak? Yes, he was the keynote. Uh, uh, he was, in effect, 11th out of the 11 uh, panels or speakers. Any, so, hi any uh, highlights it, from his speech? Oh, uh, you know, I, I thought I would uh, not spend as much time on him, even though he's the most important, but he's the most familiar. But he said, in part, uh, that we're winning the argument. He was, uh, you know, very upbeat. Um, everybody, he thought, now this, uh, I may be misstating this, but uh, freer equals more prosperous. At least a lot of people are, are still aware of that. And uh, he, he hearkened back to the fall of the Soviet Union, the system coming down. Remember how people said, well, at least uh, hot socialism is done as a, as a proposition. <laughs> hot to, socialism, uh, yes. You know, it's like uh, the young people weren't there. Don't don't qualify, really recall it. But it's I, I said at the time I was a skeptic about all that. Uh, any rate, the uh, we've got so many laws protecting us from ourselves, right? Look right. at the war on drugs, and it's uh, made it impossible for me—not impossible, but risky—for me to uh, take a motorcycle uh, trip to Mexico. Now I'm afraid of the. The drug cartels, the you know the assassination of journalists, the whole kind of failed state uh, aura there. Um, 
the um, he referred to this is an interesting historical uh, recollection. The British leader at uh, the the troops at uh, Lexington and Concord trying to put down the uh, American Revolution. And he said, I thought, this is a very good thought by a military commander. He says, quote, we have been vanquished by an idea, unquote. Mm. It's not the gunpoint so much as the idea, which is a a powerful insight. It's true. It's true. A meme. It's like a meme. Uh, yes. And, and yes, and I think I think that is very apropos for for what's happening today. Obviously, that's what Ron Paul was was talking about. That once, I mean, it's very difficult to kill. Uh, you can kill a soldier, uh, but you can't kill the ideas that that motivate the soldiers. And yeah. um, and so the idea of of prosperity through liberty, it, it, you know, and and we have of course what's so. It's unfortunate for the uh, the poor people of Venezuela, but they're really making the case for us, aren't they? Uh, yes, and uh, unfortunately, the situation in South Africa, they're going to follow shortly, I'm afraid. Yes. But uh, Ron Paul further, uh, of course, this is uh, quite familiar to me, but um, he did some uh, strolls down memory lane, which were enjoyable. He said, okay, given that ideas we agree are vital, we only need, he thought, uh, 8 to 10% of the people. And uh, when he loved talking to young people. They were the excitement in his campaign. He tapped into something people hadn't been aware of that existed, much like Donald Trump did. Um, and what he termed it the, the bigoted media who tried to smear him they uh, claimed that Ron Paul was unpatriotic, but yet, of course, he did serve. He was drafted as a, a medical doctor right. into service during uh, Vietnam. Uh, and But, but he, he said, hey, quickly we found out that uh, the biggest uh, donations, the majority of them from the military to a presidential campaign were to Ron Paul. He had the majority of it. <laughs> so how about that? Right, uh, right. Yeah. Yes, try, yeah, it's kind of hard to call him unpatriotic when he's got the military behind him. Right, and uh, as he said, uh, hey, I didn't want to go to Vietnam. <laughs> he was in the military. Yeah, you know, I was a, uh, I'm about the same vintage, and, uh, you know, I, one of the, this may sound like a slur on, on the military, but it's uh, really a questioning of the whole propagandized mindset. I'm 17 or 18 or 19. I am not going to Vietnam, number one, to risk getting my head shot off. I'll admit to my self-interest there. Secondly, however, it was like Michael Shedlock, uh, Mish, uh, the the great uh, daily writer on economic matters. It's called the Global Economic uh, Analysis his website, Mish. At any rate, somebody questioned his patriotism, and he said, I'm not participating in in the mass murder of uh, what uh, apparently is uh, as many as two million Vietnamese. Innocent, most of them, of course. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, you've got to uh, think for yourself. You know, okay. I said, for, uh, furthermore, this is an insult to the United States Navy, the Pacific Fleet. Are you going to have the Viet Cong, you know, paddling over here in kayaks, invading <laughs> the U.S.? 
you know, there's been no nation as well fixed for uh, a national security uh, as the U.S. with two immense oceans, despite uh, Atlantic being a pond, <laughs> and, uh, you know, friendly nations to our north and south. You, I mean, look at Canada as the second largest uh, geographical uh, nation on Earth, you know, after the, after Russia. And we're third, the U.S. So uh, and, and let me go back to a couple more thoughts from Ron Paul. Um, yeah, he is a patriot. And one of the speakers addressed us as thought criminals, first of all. And that's a good, that's a compliment. <laughs> Another speaker said uh, that we're the, we're the real patriots, and that, of course, uh, we all give them a, a rousing round of applause for that. Uh, we, we like flattery as well as anybody. But uh, he, he uh, also touched on his economic issue, of course, the end the Fed, and uh, people are fed up with no, uh, they, he wants no government bailouts. I don't care what your bank is. Of course, banksters, uh, the, the whole, uh, the West uh, in law never got it straight. That's why uh, banks are always fragile, et cetera. Uh, we, we don't have time to go into that. But he also uh, mentioned, hey, we, we want to repeal the legal, legal tender laws that compel the use of the U.S. dollar, or for example, in paying taxes. And what we should have are competing currencies, and I have no doubt myself which would emerge, and that's a gold-based money, a commodity money. Now how, we do. How would that work? Just explain that a competing currency base. So under the umbrella of the U.S. dollar, some would be based on backed by gold, and some would be backed by something else, <laughs> or nothing. Uh, right, cryptocurrencies. Uh, they have a couple of the features of a real commodity money, which I think would would dominate. Okay, mm. but so I'm a gold uh, bug or uh, buff. But you, silver's a good tag along precious yes. metal. Yes. In any any event, they can both coexist. Now you can also have coexisting um, currencies at least temporarily, although one is going to probably er, uh, you know emerge as a quasi or near monopoly. Right. But uh, uh, the, the, the cryptocurrencies uh, mimic the commodity in uh, two respects. One is there's an ultimate limit on the uh, amount of that uh, the cryptocurrency, okay? That's what they promise, you know, with the Bitcoin and its uh, imitators, okay? And then secondly, uh, mining is costly. Sure. <laughs> okay, yes. sure. So they're trying to uh, ape uh, gold, but... And, and remember, many things served as money. It's uh, what what uh, happens is the most liquid or the most marketable commodity acquires the money function. So it might be beaver pelts, it might be copper at one time in, in uh, history. It was cows, cattle were the most common actually you know, prior to the emergence uh, and dominance of the precious metals were uh, cattle, but then be, you, you become more urbanized and non-rural and they're inconvenient. Now, gold, for example, uh, as, as the, uh, what I would predict to be the emergent um, dominant, it's the people's choice, okay, by, by usage historically. Uh, but there, and we can't allow fraud. Because, okay, now precious uh, metals are, uh, they're kind of heavy and inconvenient for a majority of the transactions. So guess what? People used use paper, which were warehouse certificates, that this can be freely exchanged right. for 
the real thing. Isn't that, and, what the, isn't that how the Knights Templar basically started the first banks? Yeah, I uh, don't know that history, but I've heard that uh, alleged. Um, but it, you know, Rome actually, ancient Rome under Justinian actually had it right, uh, surprisingly, about how to treat uh, uh, so-called um, check accounts or uh, liquid um, uh, accounts that are not investable funds, okay? So, so for example, uh, getting the law correct uh, would would change bank behavior, and they'd have to have a hundred percent of all the checking account money on reserve, right? Right. So, no so, fractional reserve banking. No in other fractional words. reserve, because you're promising that hey, anytime you want, you can come and and uh, remove all of your money. And now, some accounts, however, are uh, time deposits, and the, the whole thing is really goofed up uh, because it's a, a, a deposit. If I there's fungible, non fungible. So if I have an RV tra- trailer uh, down at a storage lot, I want to be able to get over there and use it anytime I want. You can't lend it out now. You, they can't lend it out. That's what we should have with respect to money, which is fungible. It doesn't matter which serial number you have on on the on the bills. Okay, so uh, it's it's um, struggling here to explain it in a clean way. But uh, Ron Paul brought this up in uh, a couple of sentences or two, and uh, I'm in complete harmony. We. The answer is liberty, more freedom. Right. So ending the Fed, could that be done by executive order? Um, that's an interesting thing, given the, the amount of latitude Trump has on setting uh, tariffs. Tariffs are taxes. I don't even get that legally, why he can do that without uh, concurrence uh, or agreement by congressional majorities. So um, it was passed in, in by statute law uh, back in uh, December of 1913 that That's created right. yeah. over so Christmas I, break when there was nobody there <laughs> <laughs> yes because there was hostility to a European style central bank so they passed it when the very few people were looking but I, my, my uh, guess is that no uh, it couldn't be repealed uh, the, couldn't end the Fed by uh, executive order oh that's right because it was an amendment right it, it would take two. Would it take two thirds of well, the state? You, you and, you, statute law is law, and the courts treated as such. Although, of course, we know they they will weasel on on occasion, hmm. trying to get around the plain language of the statutes. Statute economists' view is that the common law is the good law, meaning this is pro freedom, pro market. It's a bottom up type law. Whereas statute law is special interest law, mm. uh, predominantly because it, in, in Arkansas here, I participated um, uh, slightly on a ter- to re- restore term limits on our state legislators. Okay, uh, this group volunteer group went out, got one hundred twenty-five thousand signatures to put it on the ballot. And we know it's going to pass at least two to one, okay, because we've been this way before. Now, what what does the state chamber of commerce do? They're going to, they've got a movement to stop this from getting on the ballot, okay? 
That tells you all you need to know about special interests and career politicians. Hey, this is Tony Merkel, host of The Confessionals, a blog talk radio podcast that brings you weekly interviews with eyewitness accounts of strange and unexplained events. From paranormal activity to UFO encounters to Bigfoot sightings, step into The Confessionals as we explore mysterious real-life stories. Check us out on your favorite podcast app or theconfessionalspodcast.com. Many thanks to Conspiracy Unlimited for having me on the air. I'll see you all on The Confessionals. If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Economist Morgan Reynolds, the founder of NoMoreGames.net, is here. Back to the Media and War uh, Conference uh, in, in uh, D.C. Uh, what were some of the other highlights from some of the other speakers? Or okay. we... They had two, uh, this is interesting, given that I, I really don't uh, uh, hobnob, uh, rub elbows with very many uh, career military guys. We One speaker was uh, Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, who's the former chief of staff to the then U.S. Secretary of State, Colin Powell. Mm-hmm. And uh, another was uh, McGregor, Doug, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Now, Wilkerson was the first speaker, and this shows you the outreach uh, effort by uh, Ron Paul on, on the issue of war. And that is, uh, Wilkerson comes up and, and really had a series of uh, almost unrelated uh, remarks, but still interesting. For example, he said that on Yemen, our participation in the Saudi coalition war uh, in Yemen, he, he says it's a first-class disaster. And only recently has the AP and uh, maybe MSNBC, I forget whatever, uh, New York Times, uh, covered it. And it's, he called it too, uh, a little too late. And then he goes on to the climate uh, issue where he, he was worried about the sea rise of five feet. I'm going, what? And he mentioned that the Department of Defense is the, really the leading agency involved in the alarm here. Um, now, How did then that he, go over? I mean, I can't uh, imagine I, the Ron Paul crowd buys into that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Daniel McAdams, uh, the, the master of ceremonies and organizer, he stepped up and he uh, his early, one of his earlier remarks that uh, Colonel Wilkinson shows the nature of our coalition and outreach. <laughs> but at any rate, then he'd say something sensible by my uh, estimation. He said, for example, it's utter nonsense that politics must end at the water's edge, right? This was a, this is an old uh, unity uh, type, um, you know, restraint on freedom of speech and ideas uh, that goes way goes back decades. But I was glad to uh, rehear that. And then he referred to Senator Tom Cotton and his band of morons. Hmm. Cotton is one of my two senators down here in Arkansas. And he's a, a military veteran, uh, served multiple tours in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, both, I believe. And he is a, a first-class warmonger. I can remember talking to uh, Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute, who has uh, very sound ideas about uh, how to reform our uh, messy uh, medical care system. And she, oh, she loved uh, having Tom Cotton. And, and I said, I can't support him. 
He's a complete, you know, advocate of mass murder. So there's your successor to John McCain, perhaps. Well, that's right. Yeah. Which brings me to an interesting point. Now, I know the conference predated uh, Senator McCain's death, but let me get your take uh, on the the absolute love fest. I mean, uh, you know, the old adage, you don't speak ill of the dead and so forth. And we, mm. I, I am sensitive to, of course, his, his family. I'm sure he was a loving, caring father. But in, t- in terms of the record, I mean, it's interesting, you know, Obama even, former President Obama, his glowing terms uh, of, of uh, I think he said something like, I knew in the end we were always on the same team. But you hearken back to 2008 uh, and, and what Obama said about McCain and how McCain voted with Bush 90% of the time and how can we trust anyone who thinks Bush was right 90% of the time and so forth. And then all of a sudden we see this love fest, even the media, you know, from, from the guy who, um, his famous say, uh, favorite saying was bomb, 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 bomb Iran. Bomb. Yes. Oh yeah, that's the way uh, I summarized it too here uh, the last few days. Oh, what are you going to do? Uh, it, uh, one way to put it uh, is to just write it off, Richard, uh, as Gerald Salente, who's really funny. He's got to be from Brooklyn. Uh, he is the, uh, the master of the Trends Research Institute. Oh, I'm a big fan. And, yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he said in part, well, first of all, the media are dumb. It's uh, 90% of the uh, national, international news in the U.S., of course, is traced to uh, five corporations. And he he just said, there's no media except the alternative media. So an an example was, oh, here's Katie Couric. She's part of the media. Quote, Navy SEALs rock, unquote. What? (laughs) We we need to tear that one down. these are people who, uh, you know, the, what's the Navy, Navy uh, Team SEAL 6 is, uh, it, it's like uh, the Comanches in the Texas Plains back in the old days. They collect, uh, you know, body parts and all this stuff. It's just horrible, just pre-civilization, okay? At any rate, and then he, he referred to his Italian grandma uh, who said, insightfully, these people must think we're all morons, unquote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, and really, I've heard that, uh, I might have mentioned this in a previous show where I was talking to one of these uh, uh, information officers in the U.S. Department of Labor in which I served uh, as a political appointee. And I said, hey, uh, we're doing the wrong thing here because uh, we should be driving to implement these long-run policies that are right for America and, oh, no, hey, they'll forget it. It won't matter what we say today. What, it won't matter is, is uh, by, by even next Thursday it won't matter? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. just arrogant. Uh, and here, somebody quoted uh, Peter Van Buren, who is a 27-year veteran of the Department of State, and he put out a book. What, what was that title now? Oh, uh, Oh, I don't have it in my abbreviated notes, but basically uh, he, he scolded the media by saying, I lied to you for 27 years. Well, why didn't you ask uh, some questions, some penetrating questions? Are you just lazy? Are you stupid? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uncritical, incurious media. 
Indeed, indeed, yeah, not an ounce of intellectual curiosity. I always say they're not, half of them, maybe 90% of them, are not fit to cover a house fire. <laughs> yeah. Now, let me bring up another issue that was discussed, uh, war and media, because John uh, Whitehead, he is a really a dynamite guy. He founded the Rutherford Institute that takes the government uh, uh, for its abuses to court. And he wins sometimes, even though they try to in, invoke the uh, sovereign immunity defense. But he, he basically says the police state is here. It's dominant. Uh, it goes to the militarization of your local sheriff. He pointed to uh, some numbers. Uh, in, in America right now, there are uh, over 80,000 SWAT team invasions every year. 80,000, that's up from 3,000 back in 1980. And of course, these are great fun, but uh, often they kill somebody who's perfectly innocent. They got the wrong address. They, you know how this goes. Right, They've right. got disinformation or disinformation. Somebody's, uh, you know, carrying out a, a, a hopeful killing. And then there's 175,000 federal agents who uh, carry a firearm now. Uh, many of them with a hollow bullet point, so it'll it'll work to kill you, um, almost guaranteed. And the media, he points out, it doesn't care. It doesn't cover any of this. And uh, he flatly states the deep state runs the country. And he had one good idea, I think it's uh, worth uh, noting, uh, regarding how about getting active locally. And I'm going to take this to my libertarian um, friends. And that is form a civil liberties oversight committee. Go visit your local sheriff, your um, local uh, city police, municipal, etc., and let's start. Go to the uh, local newspaper guy who covers that beat. Let's find out what they're doing and uh, bring it bring it to light. If it's if it's dirty laundry, we need to stop these people. Advertising, of course, sunlight's a real good disinfectant. Absolutely. Uh, are the are the libertarians? Uh, I mean, are they running? Are they endorsing? Um, any anyone in particular in terms of the Senate races that are that are coming here midterm? Well, ordinarily they run a candidate. Of course, that hasn't been very successful. That's why I'm looking for other activities for uh, libertarians to get involved with and um, build more of a base and uh, bring some success incrementally. Uh, so I. I Ordinarily, they're running their own candidate when they can find. Uh, I've uh, seen a couple of cases where people withdraw because of uh, it's easy to withdraw. You know, you're not committed the way you are. Uh, uh, career politicians are in the two major parties. I think they should just take just move rather than run in. Uh, you know, libertarian candidates uh, up here. Well, up in Canada, in Ontario, several years ago. Uh, we had a, what was called the Reform Party, uh, and, and they just took over the, the Provincial Conservative Party. Uh, maybe that's what the Libertarians need to do with the Republican Party, because the Republican Party doesn't stand for anything anymore. It's basically an empty shell. They might as well just move on in and take up residence. Yes, that's happened here in the U.S., I think, back to the Whig Party, which, which failed ultimately and was replaced by the Republican Party. Brought to you by Abraham Lincoln, to whom I, I am no friend. Let me make another point here. Uh, one of the speakers we had on Skype, uh, Caitlin Johnstone from Australia, via Skype. 
and uh, her topic was how to win a grassroots media rebellion. And she is real upbeat, optimistic gal. She reminded me of my mother. I loved her. Mm. <laughs> so, well, well, a couple of facts she pointed out. Okay, there are 4.2 billion internet users. Wow, this is just dry tender here, folks. And that's power. And the the, the uh, corporate censorship that we're seeing uh, on the social media. She says it is state censorship because all of these uh, firms are contractors for the state. And, of course, they're almost uh, uniformly leftist. Yes, and yes. Yeah. I mean, how can she be optimistic, though? We look at we look at what Google is doing and Twitter and Facebook. I call Facebook hate book. I can barely, you know, bring myself to even go on there. Uh, mm-hmm. But but what I mean, and they are going after alternative independent media they, they went after prager university on youtube uh you know i don't know how people feel about alex jones but i mean that wasn't right what they, what they did to alex jones uh yeah, I mean, why why should we be optimistic about this it's pretty gloomy as far as i can tell they're coming after us well they uh she says uh, she had just had her twitter account suspended the previous night but she gained thousands when they uh, reestablished or uh, they removed the suspension. And she makes a very good point. Which problem do you want to have? Our problem of their, that these people openly uh, suppressing freedom of speech or their problem, which is, ah, we got to uh, appear neutral to some extent. We can't just be heavy-handed. We've got to look nice and pleasant. It's like you're uh, identifying Facebook as hate book. They don't like that. They don't like that. Plus, you have the, uh, this is the economist talking now, you have the presence of alternatives or new, uh, um, like BitChute instead of um, YouTube, okay? So, they are. They don't have, in effect. They're more advanced. They're more established. But ultimately, they're going to get undermined. They have a real problem looking like nice. It's in favor of uh, freedom of speech, but not so much. They well, got a narrow uh, path to walk. And they're doing the bidding of the mainstream media because it's CNN and MSNBC and uh, these uh, these mainstream failing. Uh, uh, news channels that that uh, look at someone like Paul, Paul Joseph Watson, for example, who has more YouTube followers than CNN has viewers. One guy uh, producing it mm-hmm. in his living room has more viewers than CNN. So I see I see the mainstream media behind all of this. Oh, surely yes. Um, you can say the so-called elite are uh, got a real problem. They are they're they're nervous. That's why they've uh, taken this uh, bludgeon technique. But it's going to be such a re- there is such a reaction. You're basically helping us. <laughs> mm-hmm. In other words, they've just got to be too heavy-handed, and I don't envy their problem. Let me mention uh, one more speaker uh, who's he's a very innovative uh, thinker. His name is Nassim Talib. He's the author of two uh, best-selling books, one called The Black Swan and the other called Skin in the Game. Now, The Black Swan, uh, he's a a former trader uh, on Wall Street. He's a a Lebanese native. I think his native tongue was uh, French because I heard him talking French uh, to another French speaker uh, during a break. 
And I looked it up, and yeah, sure enough, he has two degrees, one from the, uh, he has a PhD from the University of Paris. At any rate, he put, he, uh, put his um, f- structure in place as, I'm a Roman among Greeks. <laughs> he views the Romans as being practical and having some engineering um, talent, whereas the Greeks are were primary, uh, of course, they're the in a, in a creators of Western civilization, I would put it really important but he called them the theory guys that's right they were the and, philosophers and the romans were all about the law well not all about but uh hey look what they did with arches you know with stones mm-hmm. you know they figuring out uh, an, an arch but he uh makes a really good point that uh drives off his book called skin in the game here's what's wrong with our warmongering um structure in the u.s you have, since Hammurabi, the Hammurabi and uh, law code, you have skin in the game, or there it doesn't. It's not going to work. We're going to change this up. In particular, if an architect designed a house and it collapses and kills uh, one or more occupants, death penalty. <laughs> death penalty. And then he pointed to uh, Justinian, the famous Roman emperor, in uh, the, basically the. Uh, I'm not sure Republican or Empire days, but famous uh, Roman emperor, he was killed in war. Now, the the leaders who uh, advocated war had to go to war. Sure. Charlemagne. They lived, uh, yes, uh, they they lived, uh, they had privileges, but they were viewed as earned. Today, they're not earned. None of these people or their children or grandchildren Go to war. Well, I shouldn't say none. Maybe we can find an exception here or there. In other words, uh, Talib is saying, you own your own risk. And these warmongers don't have any negative feedback. Look at these guys, how they are, were totally wrong, let's say, on the, the, the uh, Iraq invasion, whichever invasion you want to point to, okay? Right, right. It's, they, there's no, they, the elite are immune, so there's your problem. Right, That's they get sh- bumped upstairs and get a, a directorship on American Express, and then they write a memoir, and they get $500,000 on the meat and potato circuit, or on the rubber chicken circuit, rather. And then you've got, he mentioned uh, Robert Rubin, our brilliant uh, Secretary of the Treasury under Bill Clinton. He was the uh, uh, CEO of uh, Citibank, and he collected uh, the numbers, I think uh, Tlaib referred to, were $124 million over a 10 years or five-year period. Huge compensation. So, well, guess what? Citibank, they were busted by the Great Recession early. And he met, he had a huge number. I don't I don't know that it's right, but they got five trillion dollars worth of a bailout. Now this is no skin in the game. Mm-hmm. So True. it's not just it's not just the um, uh, warmongers. It's it's also these the financial sector. Right. They operate with total immunity. Yes. Well, so we've we've identified the problem and uh, the degree of optimism or pessimism uh, we retain individually is is up to us. But I do like what uh, Caitlin in particular um, said from Australia. All right, Morgan, thank you so much. Give us a website and um, tell us about what you're working on regarding, uh, well, your latest blog. What are you writing about? Oh, man, I'm tempted to do something about this uh, Canadian... Uh, driven movie, First Man. 
<laughs> you no, notice that it's about Neil Armstrong, supposedly uh, first man on the moon. Right, right. And it star- stars uh, two Canadians in effect. You know, Ryan Gosling in the role of uh, Neil Armstrong, who is is a likable character, but uh, for just an unfortunate. Uh, ultimate life that he led and then uh, Chazelle the uh, director who uh, made uh, the big movie La La Land which I can't tell you anything about but uh, they're they're both uh, I guess Chazelle is the product of a French father and a Canadian mother so we'll call him Canadian, quasi-Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, hey, this you guys don't know this isn't a fraud? Haven't you done your homework? Well, so, that's what Hollywood's all about, right? Myth-making. Yes. Yeah, it's in reinforcing the major propaganda points about uh, how exceptional America is. And it's just, for the most part, not true. So the website, uh, nomoregames.net. Of course, if you Google uh, Morgan Reynolds, you'll, you'll be directed to uh, nomoregames.net. That's my official website. And uh, I was looking at uh, what I've done. I think I put it up 04, 05, and it's a, a really quite a library of good things I'm proud of there. Absolutely. And, as well, you should be. Thank you. Thank you so much, my friend. Okay. Thank you, Richard. Uh, I enjoyed our conversation once again. Thank you. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, before I say goodnight to the moon over Messenia, I'm going to tell you what's coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited. They were calling it Helter Skelter. The history of rock and roll is littered with suspicious deaths and the unexplainable. The Beatles telling him that there was going to be this race war. Lennon, Hendrix, Presley, Jim Morrison, the truth told by the experts and the people there. Revelations that will blow your mind. Rock and Roll Twilight Zone with Richard Serrett. Listen and subscribe at Apple Podcast and Google Play. Episode 114 drops Wednesday, and it's part two of my conversation with Sister Carrie Burner, a.k.a. the nun with a gun. She'll talk MKUltra nanotechnology in our food and the Jesuits. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats, we need. We need constant petting. <laughs>